Welcome to The Porch Cast, the podcast where we talk about being a creative business owner and all the crazy ups and downs that go along with that. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting, and I can't wait to get started. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of The Porch Cast. I just wanted to take a second to talk about our program, Danger School, where we teach you how to grow the four pillars of your creative business so you can chase your dreams while funding your dreams, paying your bills, and growing in community with freedom and abundance. This is an online course with so much great information to help you raise your prices, um, implement proven frameworks for launching and growing, tracking your finances, and much, much more. If you are interested in joining Danger School, you can sign up anytime at dangerschool.com and read more all about what the course includes and how you can become a part of this community. We look forward to having you. And now here's the show. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Porchcast. I am so excited you're here, and I'm so excited that my friend Mary Mooney is here with me on our porch talking about art and empathy and creativity. Um, Mary, I have admired her art for a very long time, and now I'm a collector of a piece as well, which I feel very special to be a collector of a Mary Mooney. Um, But I'd love for you to introduce yourself, where you're based, what you do, and anything else that you feel like you want to share with everybody. Thank you, Kristen. Um, Yes, I'm Mary Mooney. I'm an abstract artist, um, usually painter, but dabble in other things. Um, I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I'm curious, this is just a selfish question, but I'm curious, did you always know you wanted to do something creative or do something with art? Like, has that been a lifelong journey for you or like, how did you realize you were good at this? You know, like, that's my question. How did you know you were good at this? Gosh, I I actually sat down with myself almost 10 years ago today uh, when I, which was my first year in Nashville, about February of 2012. Um, And I asked myself, because I, yeah, I went to college for and got an art degree but I didn't know I was going to do that when I went to school I thought I might major in math or something and like growing up I was always creating but it wasn't you know it's not always culturally valued as something important either so that was really confusing to to love something to spend my free time doing something but to not have it be celebrated or valued um I was going to say, did you have people encouraging you when you were young to do it? Or they're like, no, you should go to medical school or you should do something really practical. Like, was it kind of different than the path of a lot of your family members? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, even at like school, they, I never got to take an art class. Um, I, I moved a lot growing up every three years. I was in a new school. And so I, and I identified with like kind of being smart. That was something I could, um, you know, you could be shy and like not have a lot of friends, but do all the homework and like be smart. And so that's like kind of how I um, had continuity and these all these different places. And most schools actually schedule like any kind of AP or honors classes opposite the art classes. And what? so there's just, 
Yeah, I mean, I I was in like, I don't know, five or six different school districts where that was the case. And so it wasn't until my senior year of high school, I took a photography class, like a film class. Um, and that was my first quote unquote art class, even though I was always at home making or crafting or journaling or sketching or building forts or <laughs> some sort of creative act. I just, I didn't learn to value it until... Um, I guess in college, they were, I had professors who were, I, I got into art classes there and, and I had always wanted to do it. And I finally had the freedom and choice to make it a part of my routine. And, um, and they really made a strong case for making a, making a livelihood out of it. Um, but even then I, I graduated in 2008 and like the recession. <laughs> And so I was a, a barista. Yeah. <laughs> and when I finally made my way to Nashville, I I had done enough jobs that sort of touched into art. Like I, I managed a museum for a while. I um, was doing graphic design. Uh, I had and some also illustration work for people, but it wasn't captaining my own art practice as a career. And I made a list of everything I enjoyed and everything I felt I was good at and the thing I thought I was best at in the world was abstract painting <laughs> which is like what do you do with that like I mean if I'm being honest with myself if I'm being really honest out of like what brings me the most enjoyment fulfillment and what I feel most confident doing it's creating atmospheric ethereal uh, emotional work I'm like okay well I have to try to do this and find a place to put it and find a way to make a living <laughs> yeah yeah so there was that moment where you're like I knew that that was the thing that was really important to me but like what did you do after that and did you just start I mean I, I always am interested in that transition of I know I want to do this but how do I actually make it happen how does it how does it get in front of people <laughs> I think at first was like shit like I just you know <laughs> it was like oh this is the thing I'm best at that I need to like put out into the world okay this doesn't feel obvious this doesn't feel like there's a path for this um <laughs> I started by just making work making time in my day to create a, a stronger studio practice and to buy the tools I needed you know there was a there was like little things in my head that had been holding me back up until that point I, I didn't have an art community at the time I didn't have a separate studio space outside my home living in Nashville's very expensive and especially in your early 20s and so we turned our laundry room which is was the size of a closet uh got like a I would put saws on top of the washer and dryer so I could build frames um, for canvases and then eventually frames for this uh, acrylic glass that I work on now. Uh, I didn't know how to do any of that. And so I just kind of made a list of what I needed to learn and I, I figured it out. I YouTubed, I found mentors, I asked questions and I made my my first body of work that I showed in Nashville um, was later that year at a coffee house and I called it failures, failings of an emerging artist. 
um, because the coffee house, like having it in a coffee house itself was sort of part of the concept of the show. And I just made work about being stuck making work. And I, I did a garland of um, MFA pamphlets that I had been collecting because I guess the, the program I went through um, at, in college was, they were really encouraging, but it was a pretty, at the time, maybe it's different now, but it was pretty singularly tracked to, you get this degree, you get a BFA, and then you go and get an MFA, and then you become a professor, and then you have a career where you get to make art all the time, and you get to, and I was so intimidated about teaching or, and I wanted to know I could create and sustain a studio practice outside of the structure of a university and classes and all of that. And so it was, um, <laughs> I knew it was going to look different at least for a while until I could get that studio practice built up. But then it just, um, the world changed too. Totally. Well, I'm like, you had a path that everyone was telling you, here's the path. You go and you teach, you work at, at a university, and that's what lets you make art because then you have your things paid for. Like, what, what, like, what helped you see a different path or want to try a different path? I'm kind of loving being here, not wanting to move again. I, yeah. I my whole life never having roots anywhere. And if you are lucky enough to get into an MFA program, you have to move, you know, to go attend wherever that is. And then once you have that degree, you have to move wherever you get a job. And there just wasn't a lot of control. And I was, um, I had like fallen in love with my partner, now husband, and we were, we were living together and both trying to figure out careers at the same time. And so it was just like, in that situation, I think you have to, you have to prioritize. Um, I wasn't ready to prioritize my career in that way where there were so many other unknowns. Like I wanted to prioritize my career, but I didn't want to prioritize moving to Idaho or something to be a painting professor where I didn't know anyone again. And then I'd have to like be there for three years and hope I get tenure or move again and try. I just, it's, I didn't want that uncertainty in my life anymore. Totally. Totally. I love what you say there too, what you said there too. Cause I feel like probably without even knowing it, you let your core values drive what you wanted your career to look like instead of the other way around. And I mean, did you, were you aware of that at the time or, um, or did you just feel like this feels like the right thing to do? Nope. I was, <laughs> I was listening to myself, I guess, but I, I wasn't using that language around it. My core values are probably thinking of myself as that like create a captain of my destiny. I was just like, this doesn't feel right. I need to try uh, something. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay. And so the laundry room turned into the studio and <laughs> the coffee shop, you put your body of work, first body of work in a coffee shop. What happened after that? Um, I started to meet people. I started to meet other artists. Um, I started to get invited to opportunities. I um, remember one of my pieces in that show was a big sign that just lit up and said fail. But I, 
I made it so the plug was just hanging. So it was like, um, and some, and then that was funny to a lot of people. So I got invited to like some, some other shows and then met some galleries and, and eventually started to develop, um, a method of work. I guess that gave me some confidence and courage. And I, I don't know that any of those like opportunities were actually like the thing that led to this, but just putting myself out there for the first time and receiving um, a positive reaction gave me the confidence to make the work I had always wanted to make and experiment and um, keep going. And so I guess it was around 20, 15 where I felt like I was starting to finally master this technique of painting on this um painting on the reverse side of this glass I, I'd always how art works for me is I I'll get this impulse of I almost see it in my mind's eye of something I want to actualize in the world and I don't always know all of the steps involved in that that's where the experimentation comes in that it's the combination of that like inner knowing and that experimentation that becomes the co-creation of the piece. Yeah. Like you kind of get a hint of a a vision, like you see it, but you're like, I don't actually know how that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like impulses. (laughs) Like what were some of the things that were some of that initial inspiration? Well that, and I'm wondering like how much experimenting did it take you before you started feeling confident in your own style? Cause I feel like that's a question I get a lot of like, how much, how much do you have to try and fail before you really figure out what you like and who you are and what you want to say? <laughs> Is it just like a constant process, right? <laughs> yeah, a lot. I and mean, still, I feel like confidence ebbs and flows and <laughs> there have been lean years of confidence and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going. Um, it's not like a destination you arrive at. And even with success, uh, <laughs> Like I've had some pretty like objective successes recently, but I still don't always feel confident. It's a, that's it, confidence is a practice. Um, really? But I guess in terms of developing a style or something, I, um, I'd say about five years to really figure out the track to move down. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then to let it continue to evolve from there. It's never like, you know, it's never a finite. Right. Thing. But to be like, I like this direction that I'm moving in right now. Yeah. This, this feels sturdy. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like something to build on. This feels like something unique to me that I haven't seen in the world yet. Because, you know, a lot of artists, you begin even in, in school or art class or wherever you're taking classes. doesn't have to be a university or anything. But wherever you're taking you practice a lot by doing these like master studies or you're always kind of studying what's come before you. And then I think there's this like launching point where you start to trust your own internal messages and begin to actualize those. And so, yeah, that took, that took a while and it's a continuous uh, practice to tune into that. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Are there like, are there themes that you, as you were kind of defining your style or now, like, are there themes or topics that you explore in your art or does it change per collection of work? Like, how does, how do you kind of decide what you want 
to say? That's, um, it evolves with where I'm at on my own personal journey. Um, my last series, Denied Realities, sort of came about from many years of developing uh, my style, my practice, my, um, and the learning curve of that. And being, it really started by being challenged by men, um, especially around building. And one of this, one of the questions I continue to get at Home Depot or well, maybe I shouldn't name them specifically. <laughs> at like, you know, uh, wherever stores where you buy that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, um, is like, what are you trying to do? And like, when you're making art, maybe you're like building a sculpture or something. It's not really like a, I'm installing cabinets. No, it's just like a, I'm trying to illustrate how light reflects off of. <laughs> it's just like not as clearly defined and there's like it is experimentation and so it's just not always I kept coming up in against misogyny and different forms and I think for a long time before I started to incorporate reading about all of that into my uh, personal life and I would internalize it be like I'm not good enough or I'm not I don't know this and I should and it was a turning point and even with like harassment or something I just would all of these situations I think it probably starts when we're teenage girls right and start to get like sexualized from a young age and um and unwanted attention maybe not like good boundaries modeled by our upbringing or society we start to internalize it as something we're doing wrong or something we have total control over when it's it's not that at all like co-creation with the culture yeah totally yeah I was gonna ask if the um the collection of work is um mostly experience of misogyny in the art world and in your career kind of more more broader than that like just of misogyny throughout culture or our culture or growing up or I know we you know I talk about purity cult being a purity culture dropout and all the things yeah was it one or the other or kind of a mix of, of all of it? It's, it was everywhere. It was, um, it was literally everywhere. One book I read, uh, the gender, not I talked about it, you know, we're fish in the water of misogyny. <laughs> it's just, and, and before you connect it to being, um, everywhere, it's really easy to look at each isolated incident as like, oh, what could I have done differently instead of like, oh, what needs to shift in our, in our whole society to make, um, to create equity, to create respect, to. Totally. Yeah, totally. It's so, it's so deep. And especially if you had like a religious upbringing or even if you didn't, you know, it's, it's all the things that I, you know, the, my eighth grade curriculum was just about how to be a good wife, you know, or really, yeah. Cause I was homeschooled for middle school. And so my homeschool curriculum in, in eighth grade was, um, this really, really antiquated book about how to like, please your husband <laughs> and like how to learn. And just, I mean, it was very domestic. I'm glad I know how to basket weave and things like that. Like I'm not, I'm not against any of those things. I know some really cool skills, but I think the whole heart of the, of the book was like, you are a good woman. If you like 
do these things for the men in your life, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, <"Ugh."> <laughs> <laughs> Get a bit of that from my grandma still, yeah. <laughs> oh. I know. Um, but yeah, like as you're as you were creating this work, that was one of the things that kept coming up is is like how do we how do women as artists stand out, step out, say something, create equity, create art? Um, like, do you, when you have, when, when someone buys one of those pieces, do you hope that they feel empowered or seen, or I guess, like, how do you hope other people view it? Yes, I, I empowered for sure. And I, I've been really, really fortunate to interact with a lot of my collectors and know that, um, there's like this resonance with it. I think there's always a resonance with the piece, but I've been really fortunate to know that the pieces that have been collected are speaking to people on more than one level. So, you know, there's the sensation of a piece. There's like the, the texture, the color, the, how it looks. And then there's the intention of the piece. And when I started painting on this clear acrylic glass and people would look at me or, shopping for metal to frame it in, which I do myself uh, and kind of make a snap judgment on that. And it just felt like this kind of glass ceiling coming down. And that's when I started the writing on a lot of the pieces of like exclamations, like no, or fuck or stop. And then kind of clouding that out with feminine color, because that's that's what my experience in the culture felt like. I, you know, I could set a boundary or just be myself or think I was adept and go in with intelligent questions. And it just didn't matter because who I was meeting at that level had some kind of bullshit preconceived notion of misogynistic notion of like what I was supposed to know or what is. And, um, and that sucks because it kills any room for like learning and growth. So if I, I, I'm always learning and I don't know everything. And so if someone's kind of wanting to have like this power dynamic <laughs> where they're the, the teacher without being curious about what I'm coming in to learn or ask about, that's, that's really toxic. Um, but yeah, like the, that started to, and it was just like this back and forth with the work because the more I had experiences out in the world or reflected on former experiences in my life and recontextualized them, um, the more the work made sense. And I think that's why it's important to follow that creative impulse. I think there's something kind of pulling down creativity that knows that it'll make sense and be contextualized if we like follow all the follow all the intuitive pulls towards X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Are there ways that are there ways that you have practiced or that you recommend practicing like listening to those intuitive pulls more? Because I feel like especially growing up in a context that is misogynistic, one of the things that that culture teaches you is to not trust yourself and not mm-hmm. listen to your intuition and not believe that that your intuition is good or you are good. And so are there things that you found that help key you into those voices or listen to them better or things that you've done that, that have helped you? Yes, I... I really think like a, a regulated nervous system <laughs> is a big part of that, um, allowing that to come through. Because if we are 
fearful or angry or, you know, that's going to, that's going to block those messages from coming in. And so it's just been um, a lot of learning about how to create that balance because balance, again, it's not like a state we arrive at. It's something we continually um, create um, and manage and allow for those, that anger and fear energy to move through us um, Mm. and to trust that like there's that the inner authority of our intuition is just as valid as any kind of external authority um, to hold those equally and consciously when we're deciding what to do um, has been, yeah, key and an imperfect, <laughs> imperfect process. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I know I'm like becoming more and more aware of when I'm like dysregulated or, you know, like that process of, oh, that was not my highest self that just came out there. <laughs> And I, and so, I mean, I feel like that's why I'm so drawn to the work that you guys are doing with empathy too, and creating, um, work environments that feel really supportive because I think we see people can create these beautiful things or listen to their intuition or make choices that consider everyone when we're not in this state of like hyper arousal or dysregulation and why your work is so important. So I don't know if you want to like share anything about, about that side of what you do or what you really love as it comes to creating like empathetic spaces. Yes, I would love to. Um, yeah, my, my partner, Nathan and I, um, my husband partner, I call him my partner because even like the word husband, they partners like even both ways, you know, I don't yeah. know. I but do that like too. I do partner. that. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, my painting mentor actually modeled that for me with his, his partner. And, um, anyway, um, Nathan came out of a nine year career in social work where he was doing trauma informed work with people like leaving domestic violence, which is, um, really important and really personally heavy and taxing and, um, needed, he needed a change. And I had, in the last few years, um, had a personal trauma surface that really changed who I was and how I handled business and how I thought about my everything. Um, and so this, our personal work kind of came together in this, um, in this business called Empathetic Environments. And we want to go into different workspaces and teach for the kind of the human side of business, um, nervous system regulation and, and create these trauma informed spaces. When you think of trauma, I keep saying trauma, trauma is like a, a stress our body experiences that we don't have adequate support for. And so it can, it can be a myriad of things, but it's designing both the space and the culture of, uh, of an environment to, hold that to hold humans at their most stressed Mm, yeah if we can start at like that hyper stress level and make it safe there then it's going to be kind and serve like (laughs) every other place we're at too yeah I'm wondering if I'm trying to think of a question to ask about a like a specific example even if it's a made-up example of 
like, what does someone, what does someone do in a place of that stress? Like, what would you like to help? How do you want to help make it feel safer? Or like, what does that look like? Um, I mean, it's really important work because when we're at that place of stress, it shuts off the part of our brain that can think critically. And so we don't have conscious access to, um, we're in a reactive part. We're like in the animal part of our brain. So we're just going to respond from not our highest selves. (laughs) Yeah. And it could be like even feeling like a younger age or, or feeling like emotions have the reins, but uh, creating that homeostasis and creating that safety and that to have conscious awareness to choose to respond instead of react is is the goal and and that will just create to um, uh, what what has served me with this work personally and what I love about doing it professionally is that it's just going to radiate out everywhere it doesn't stop at a workplace or, you know, or in the personal realm, it's just like kind of like water it just goes everywhere. It doesn't have a shape or container. And so it can really improve life and hopefully society. And <laughs> Cause like specifically in a work envi- environment, if there is a work environment that's very stressful or people are expected to be kind of like mean to each other or like really blunt, like, does that bring out the best in people in that work environment to create their best work? Yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. But like working, working from that. Cause I know we've all had experiences where maybe some, we respond really strongly to something or like, why did I just do that? And maybe it's because of some past trauma or some past experience that that felt really heavy. Right. Like, and you know, and, and, I guess, like, what are some things that a work environment could do to make make people feel safer in that instance? I think just taking some time to create additional space around that and to an education around that happening. Like, I think when we know that when we're in that, when our nervous system is in the sympathetic, which means our body is in fight or flight, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. We're going to fight or flight. And so um, advocating for for wellness and understanding that like, it's not just, I think, I don't know about you. I I grew up in an environment where self-care was labeled selfish and that was mirrored from the culture a lot too. And so it's actually a personal responsibility (laughs) that allows us to function in this higher brain and, and um, a necessity and not, uh, not anything selfish at all. It's if we can't be, and also, like, it affects our inner critic, too. Like, if our if we're responding to others in relationship in that way with anger or fear, then we're probably also speaking to ourselves that way. And that, again, blocks that intuitive voice. Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, and so tying it back into your art, too, like, how does, how does creating a space with art or creating art help with that too because I know now you have a project that you're really excited about that kind of incorporates all of it do you want to share more about that I'd love to yes I'm oh my gosh I'm so honored um, to be a part of Audrey which is a new restaurant that's opened in Nashville it's um chef Sean Brock's flagship restaurant and uh, and what he's dreamed of building his entire career and he's 
um, in addition to being an incredible artist and chef, he's a real advocate for wellness in the service industry and um, has his own recovery journey too. Actually, our timelines just kind of coincidentally sunk up and and coming out of like a traumatic experience and learning the, I mean, we've learned complementary tools, but learning what we had to learn to care for ourselves and like be in that uh, choice part of our brains. Um, but I met with a, a friend of mine, interior designer, Katie Vance, and I was like, I really want to do immersive spaces and I want those spaces to heal people and hold people. And I think that's a, that's a new direction my art is taking too. Like how can I build something that's beautiful, that speaks to someone that they have a connection to, that, that's resonant with them on a deeper level and beyond sensation, but that might also regulate their nervous system, even if it's subliminally. And she was working on designing the interior of Audrey uh, with Powell Architecture. And she pulled me into the project um, so this restaurant, it has like four kitchens and two, two dining rooms. And Sean has uh, set aside a whole room for this mindfulness center for the employees, knowing that when they're in their best, uh, that they're going to do their best work when they're regulated and that the teams are going to work together when, and communicate uh, from their highest selves when they're in the homeostasis, when their nervous system's regulated. And so... Um, it's, it's a really neat project. It's kind of, it's based, I've been doing all this research on sound and how that can, because if you think of like our bodies um, as atoms that are vibrating very at various speeds, even when we're, even in solids, you know, atoms are moving very slowly. Um, sound can just, there's this principle of physics that happens called entrainment. Um, when our cells will actually move into a frequency if it's played. And so that you can think of that as like a metaphor too for the, the energy of the people you hang out with or, or what you absorb in media or on TV um, or musically or whatever. Every, the whole universe is vibration. Um, but intentional sound can be really um, healing, powerfully healing. And uh, the room is built around sound bowls, but also every technique that Sean and I have used to regulate our nervous systems. Mm. There's a library. Um, there's, I'm doing a, in the style of the whole restaurant is uh, based on his Appalachian roots. And so in that spirit, I'm doing a painted selenite panel where I'm, pulled rocks out from the Tennessee hills and ground them into pigment and um, made a paint out of it. It's, it's like a frosted finish, but it's just, ooh, there's just so many details and levels of everything in the whole space. Oh, and that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, a, a local woodworker is going to build out all of the furniture and the, this might be like a little too heady, but the pivot of I don't actually, I don't know if I know how to say this, like simply on a podcast. I'll try. The, the musical key that the sound balls are in, in the room changes octaves at the same level of the golden ratio or the Fibonacci sequence. Oh my like, gosh. 
you know, when you think of like notes um, increasing and expanding, it's, it's, uh, you can plot them all on a spiral if you like look at them in terms of a Hertz frequency. Yeah. And so that particular spiral is in the same ratio of the Fibonacci sequence, um, which can also be expressed as like the golden rectangle or the golden spiral, which is something you see in art and art history over and over and over again in architecture. And, right. and it's the same proportions of the room. And so the whole furniture system uh, is, is created in that shape as well. And the sound will pivot from the shape of the furniture. I need like visuals here. <laughs> so I'm like, no. visual on the podcast. But. I'm totally tracking it. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. Just the intentionality and the way that that sound will travel through the room. That's wild. What's wild is I selected the sound bowls and proposed the furniture design because the room's in the proportion too of the um, golden rectangle. Like that's just what happened when I, I noticed it. Mm-hmm. Um, when they gave me the blueprint <laughs> three years ago when the project started, but um, I was like, Oh, this is, this seems of note that it's in this proportion. Um, and I selected the sound bowls and spoke to an audio engineer, maybe six months after I submitted the design and it was approved and found out that it was the sound was going to move in the room in that way and so it's just like this it's following those creative impulses (laughs) like what have you been able to be in there and experience it yet it's it's not built out yet they just opened last week and um we're still finishing the the room itself so I've been in the space there's some elements in there that are helpful I've actually been sending the team each week um like self-care tips too because I'm like I want to take care of you I want to hold you in the space that's not fully built out yet but um I'm I'm very excited to experience it fully once it has come to fruition (laughs) Well, it's exciting to think that more and more people and more and more employers are moving that way too, of seeing the benefit of wellness and mindfulness in work environments and not just like trying to squeeze every last ounce of energy out of everyone that walks in their building, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's been a gift or a, a light of the pandemic. I think everything has a light and everything has a shadow and the shadow of the Pandemic, I guess, is pretty easy to riff on. But the the light of it is that we have we've seen the toll that takes, and that it doesn't really allow for when you're being pushed to an edge at work, and then a, this the stress of a pandemic happens, or in Nashville, like a tornado happens, or a terrorist attack happens. <laughs> it's just it's too much, and you you need support, and you need something different, or you just can't function optimally. And I think people have realized how, I don't know, I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of this project because Shauna in particular is just, you can tell the guest experience is so important that like the care of his employees is equally important and considered and part of the DNA of Audrey. And so it's just like a, a beautiful, and our really like our business was birthed out of, that project there um 
wants our space module <laughs> of empathetic environments. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, what would you, I mean, if you were to dream into the future five, 10 years and some of these wellness things started making their way into more spaces, where would you like, where would you love to see, like, what would your dream be of seeing wellness and art or, um, I don't know, what are some things that you would be really excited to see come to fruition in the future? I think it's like pushing, I think it's just altogether pushing a more holistic thinking. And that's what I'm working towards in my art practice and what we're working towards with empathetic environments, but also like in any industry thinking about, okay, this isn't just an employee. This is a whole person. <laughs> um, how, what do they need to be well? What do they need to thrive? What's the gap between those two and how do we close it? Um, I mean, it's just, it's, we need more holistic thinking when things get compartmentalized and arguments get made around those compartments it's things inevitably get lost. People get cut out that aren't in that little narrow box. And so I think it's just kind of this like holistic revolution that's coming where we, I mean, I, I see it in, I want to see it in schools. I want to see it in business. I want to see people taking that space personally to give themselves that care. And I think it just really, if we're all acting more consciously, it's just going to really make the world a more better and beautiful place. And I think that might be the only thing that will. Because if we just keep reacting, we're stuck in our, our patterns. <laughs> I agree. How, I mean, how has that journey been for you as a, like, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are self-employed or they're artists or they're creatives. And for being such a, um, such an intuitive, mindful group, I also feel like we all are so hard on ourselves and push ourselves <laughs> to these limits. Like, was that ever something that you, that you struggled with as a self-employed creative or like, what has that journey looked like for you of how to live more holistically in your own life and business? Um, yes, that has definitely been and continues to be a journey for me. Not um, <laughs> letting the win. Um, I guess some big pivots have come from recognizing that your inner critic uh, is separate from you and a voice in your head that you can set boundaries with and need to set boundaries with. Uh, also that it's looking out for you in some ways that it that it evolved from a survival instinct of keeping you safe or within certain parameters even if they're unrealistic ideas of perfection or x y and z and uh, so that there's like a well-intentioned but fear-based motivation behind it gentleness I think is always the solution even though it's not still today, not always something I turn to, I just like intellectually know that it needs to be. Um, but it's just in a, in a, and also they kind of contextualize everything in the, in the culture again, like the workaholic perfectionism that we see of people almost bragging about how busy they are sometimes. And, um, it doesn't really, uh, cultivate gentleness. Gentleness was something I, I fought against um, before adopting. I thought there must be a way around it. There must be a way to work harder 
and avoid slowing down and being gentle with myself. And there's not, I just, I spend a lot of time banging my head against the wall, kind of just trying to figure out a way to twist uh, self-care or compassion or rest (laughs) into work. (laughs) (laughs) How can I do this better? How can I self-care better? (laughs) Yeah. Like, how can I achieve this? (laughs) But there's a point where ambition has to be dropped. Rest has to be taken (laughs) and uh, gentleness has to be employed, employed even. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a fear. I don't know if you ever had this fear, but this is a fear of mine is like, if I start being gentle with myself and resting, it's just all going to fall apart or have a creative idea ever again, or, you know, and I don't know if you've ever, have you ever experienced that fear or like feeling like afraid to step away for a second? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know. A couple of times this week already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm yeah. like, I'm gearing up to take a lot more time off of some of the things I've been, I've been doing the last couple of years. And I feel so peaceful about it right now, but definitely, you know, different seasons of life. It's like, oh, well that I can't possibly do that. That's like the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing, running a business or, it's the opposite of being successful or the opposite of being creative or helping people. And I think like that holistic thinking that you're talking about that, you know, thinking about wellness, it's almost having to trust that that will lead to, you know, beautiful things down the road too. And that it's, it's like an essential part and not just an optional part of whatever is going to be created or co-created in the future. Yes. And how do you build that trust? You have to rest (laughs) and feel that it's okay (laughs) over and over and over again. You have to keep taking that time and silencing that fear that the bottom's going to drop out or you're going to fail or that everyone's going to like abandon you or whatever the fear is and continue to practice rest. I feel like a lot of co-regulating by my friends, like a lot of friends who can be like, it's okay. You'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a lot of unthinking that needs to happen. So you need a, you need support in a community of people that are working on the same stuff. And I I think that's been like a big change for me too in the last few years and realigning my, I mean, the inner critic and who you surround yourself with, like you need a chorus (laughs) of people like, that are supportive of you moving in the kind direction and the direction that's right for you and you being the captain of that direction and having support for it. And if that's not coming in, you either need to like set boundaries with that thought or person, or, you know, you have to find your, your community that's, that's aligned with where you're at and where you want to go. And that's, that could be its own podcast, I suppose. How <laughs> <laughs> to burn your whole world down and then rebuild it with Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be there. Right? <laughs> Let's do it. That'll be part two. <laughs> um, I guess if you, when you think in terms of like holistic creativity or holistic creative business, um, what do you feel like are some things that have been 
good tools along the way for you or building blocks or like things you check in with yourself. Like when things start feeling dysregulated, I don't know. I'm a checklist person. You can tell I'm trying to like logic this. I'm like, okay, my friends, my self-care routine, you know, I'm, and you can be like, stop trying to checklist me, Kristen. But I'm just curious what some things are that like you can kind of revisit when things feel out of whack. I have, I have some morning and evening routines that are staples in my life. And they're really small things. Like, like one of my nighttime routine things is just putting oil in an oil diffuser and letting it go while I go to bed. But it's just, it's like a ritual that I trust in. And if I stop doing that for some, you know, if I stop, if I let all of those routines go, then I find that some of that self-trust leaves. And so it's, um, it's doing that in my personal life. And then also tracking, I'm, I'm not as much of a checklist person. I'm more of like a touch in in all the areas person. And it's so finding a system that lets me know if I'm doing that for me has been tracking my, um, tracking all of my time, especially when things have felt uncertain or like back when, back when my like trauma was resurfacing, I, I just had to take a lot more time for self-care or I had, if something, if I had like a memory resurface that was upsetting, I had to take time to deal with it. And I, for a long time before I adopted more gentleness, I would just beat myself up about like losing the productivity mm-hmm. and thinking of productivity in this like narrow box of getting X, Y, and Z work done. And so now I, I track all of that time. If I, if I need to give myself some special attention even if it's like a bubble bath, I I have like a healing epigenetics <laughs> um, marker in my time track app. We have like a fight with my partner, which it really doesn't, he didn't, we don't fight that often. It always gets us to a better place if we do, but like I track that time. Um, and exercise and self-care routines, like nervous system regulation is its own time track in addition to everything I need to do for my business, everything I do for my studio practice, everything I do for empathetic environments. So it's just like a, a holistic snapshot of my life. And then I can go back and all the time I spend on social media too, like goes in there, friend hangouts go in there. Um, and so I can look at it by the week or by the month in these little reports and see what areas are light and kind of go back in like, okay, I need to, especially with like studio time. Sometimes I, when I'm feeling inspired, it's really easy to get in there and keep going. If, if I notice I haven't made it in in a few weeks, then I'm like, okay, now it's like becoming scheduled into the checklist (laughs) for the, for the week or month until it becomes balanced. So it's like, I guess, creating that. Am I getting away from the main question? (laughs) No, I love, I love this. So it's like, it's, does it feel grounding for you? It gives you like a big snapshot of what, what life looks like in sections. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I found before I adopted this method, I was getting really hard on myself without any real evidence of needing to be needing to be. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so it's been like a, okay, here's, we all have the same amount of time at the end of the day. So I'm like, okay, here's how I spent all of it. And then I could go back and be like, okay, here's what was like, here's what really served me in, in all of these areas. Here's what was unavoidable and needed to be taken care of. Here's where I did my laundry, you know, (laughs) just like all of these 
the holistic view really. Yeah. And it, and it lets you be more gentle with yourself while then maybe be like, I'm going to tweak this for next week. Right. Yes. And gentleness isn't like an absence of accountability. Um, it's just, a Oh, that's good. Awareness of, of your needs <laughs> and how to tend to them and when. That's so good. I'm going to have to practice that keeping track of things too. Cause I do think, I think when we start having the conversation about intuition and flow, because we're such, um, pendulum people like I notice that either people are way productive over here or they're like flow and so then have no accountability or only do what feels good I'm like that's not really what flow is either you know Um, (laughs) yeah so I love that you found um, a system that lets you be gentle on yourself and hold yourself accountable for the things that are important to you Yes, most of the time it, it, I'm able to reach that perspective <laughs> with the system. <laughs> oh, um, well, if you were to tell someone who's just getting started in creating art or in their artistic journey, like what do you wish you had been told 10 years ago or what would you tell them now? I, mean, I guess really trusting your intuition. Like that's no one practically decides to be a creative probably in the like capitalist world we live in right (laughs) no one's probably like oh this (laughs) this is gonna this is a good idea yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so if you already have that speaking to you internally that's uh tune into that voice and find a community that also supports that and people with like aligned goals and um and take yourself seriously I think that's been that's been a journey for me. And it's almost like, I guess I still feel a little embarrassed to admit that here, but I, I think it's a, but I also do see that with others, like, like quote unquote, objectively successful people too. Like there's still that like, Ooh, uh, fear of like taking yourself seriously. And I think it's, I guess for me too, learning that confidence is separate from arrogance and that confidence has this like openness and curiosity to it. Like it's, I guess it felt I'm like, oh, can I even be confident for like, I needed like permission to be confident. No, you're like, you can be confident. And, um, and it doesn't mean that you like know everything or need to shut out anything. It's, it's actually like more scary to like be confident while remaining open because you're constantly adapting and learning. I guess that's my, that's the key takeaway. That's probably the best thing I've noodled. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) With openness. Yeah. I think especially female creatives are afraid to feel confident because it feels, it feels like the same thing as arrogance. Um, And I think there's a lot, you know, arrogance is fear-based. You don't want people to find out you're a fraud. So you're kind of like, (laughs) <laughs> I'm just realizing about a podcast again I'm like beefing up my shoulders like I'm <laughs> I do that too I'm like I'm talking with my hands no one's gonna hear time. me <laughs> yeah real real confidence is constantly learning and there's a there's a humility with it I agree but I mean like self-doubt <laughs> just balanced self-knowing I love that 
Well, if people are trying to find out about your work or your art or connect with you, where can we find you on the internet? On the World Wide Web. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you sound old. Um, I'm at marymooneyart.com. It's my art website. And at marymooneyart on Instagram and other socials that I don't actually really use too much. And signing up for my email list actually is... There's a link tree off my off my gram and on my website. It's probably the best way to get actual news about what I'm doing. And then for empathetic environments, it's empatheticenvironments.com or at empathetic environments. Amazing. And anything particularly exciting that you're that's coming soon that you're really excited about? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm kind of I just rode a wave in of like, <laughs> I got it. I appeared in my contextual digest last this month, this month. It's still, it was just like a couple of weeks uh, and um, time out magazine. And um, amazing. Those are yeah. the October issues. October issues. Okay. Okay. So I'm sorry, September of architectural digest in October of time out. And um, yeah, I'm building a new body of work right now. So I'm, signing up for my email list because I'm not really sure where I'm going to show it yet. I have some ideas, but I'm working on a body of um, paintings called The Past is Not a Solid. Love it. I'm really excited to talk more about that once it's actualized. (laughs) Yeah. Sign up for your email list. You can keep, uh, keep an eye out for the new body of work. Mary, thank you so much for being on the Porchcast. Thank you, Kristen. Love having you and we'll schedule the next one for <laughs> what was it we were talking about our uh, the the community that you burn down or you build up <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a soap opera <laughs> feels like one too <laughs> thank you so much thank you oh, 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 oh.